welcome to At The Table, a play reading series, brought to you by Charging Moose Media. This week, we're sitting down with the playwright of The Very Furious Kugel, Claire Bierman. Be sure to listen to this fantastic play and our interview with cast members Michael Kostroff and Sherry Edelin on previous episodes. Enjoy! We're so excited to be here today with playwright Claire Bierman calling in. I'm Rachel Flynn. Hey, I'm Ned Donovan. And we are coming to you not live, not together from various pieces of New York City for our quarantine short play audio drama art project. Right? I Did I sell that well, Ned? Nailed it. That's the tagline. Great. Okay. So we're here today talking with Claire Bierman about her short play, The Very Furious Kugel, a Yiddishish fairy tale ish. We would like to welcome Claire Bierman. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Hello. Where are you calling from today? I am in LA in in the Los Feliz neighborhood in sunny Los Angeles. Is it currently sunny? Yeah, it is. I'm looking right at it. Are you from LA? Yeah, I'm actually at my sister's house right now. I came home a little bit before the quarantine because my sister was about to have a baby and then everything shut down. So I stayed here and now I am quarantining with my sister, her husband and a two month old. Wow. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I put in a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Where were you coming in from? I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which is in many ways the Los Feliz of New York. Sure. I'm just a little bit south of there right now in Flatbush. Oh, nice. Exactly where the play takes place. Yes, I freaked out. I said this to the actors. I said it's the first play that's taken place where I live. That's so funny. I, I placed it there. That's where my dad grew up. So it's like based a lot on him. And that is why I put it there. You had mentioned professors before we started this interview. Are you in school right now? Yes, I am in grad school in New York at NYU hey. in their musical theater writing program. Oh, cool. Hey, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the work prospects are like plentiful and extremely <laughs> dope. Everyone's hiring musical theater writers at the end of this. Hey, as two people with musical theater careers under our belts, uh, we feel you. We love you very much. Was this going to be your final year in the program? No. So I just finished my first year, which means we just finished one act short musicals. Um, they were they were all 20 minutes and we just got assignments. It's kind of like a reality show or something. Basically you spend the whole first year going through and like working with everyone. And then you get paired up for who you spend your second year working on. So we just got our pairs and I'm very excited. I've done a couple of the NYU shows at the end of your second year and uh, they're a lot of fun. I love that program. Well, we will never experience those again as we recently found out. (laughs) Oh gosh. Uh, How are you enjoying the program in general? It's cool. I mean, I in general really enjoy the forced productivity. My background isn't in musical theater or writing or creativity at all. My undergrad degree was in environmental studies. So like, I think the most exciting thing has been just like the demand creatively, having it feel like a job, which is like, it's hard. And it's like, oh, the alternative is not doing this. And like, that's amazing that this is like causing me stress. And it's a real delight all the time. I think it's just been like a good like rock in my life of like, I still have to be like meeting up with composers and writing constantly. I still have to be creating because there's the demands. Some of my work has been a lot worse, I think, because of the mental hurdles of it. But um, 
I love what I'd be doing otherwise. Yes. I'd also love to say I, it would be lovely to be able to be like, I'm sure it's not, but like it can be, it should be. We're in a crisis. Like, like some of the work's going to be bad. I can't believe you're doing work. I'm in awe. I'm like, deeply some, I'm in awe. doing some work that is um, inarguably not good and specifically not good because of being like depressed because of coronavirus and stress and it is improving so that's great that's honestly not nothing that's cool are you lyric and book are you specifically lyrics are you specifically libretto i do both cool and what um prompted that switch from environmental studies to musical theater basically i think my last year if of my undergraduate degree, I was in my environmental studies degree and I was mostly focusing on like public policy, environmental economics, that kind of thing. And I took a class my last semester that was called Food, Culture and Storytelling. And it was taught by a media studies professor who was like also chair of the environmental studies department. And it was just like the first class I'd ever taken that like had asked something creative of me in a really long time and it was a production class and you could produce whatever you want and so I would do writing and I wrote basically essays about like my food heritage and the food heritages of other people around San Francisco. This was in San Francisco at that time and I realized I really enjoyed writing and it was the first time that anyone had ever seen anything I'd written and it was the first time someone was like oh this writing is really good and I was like oh that's that's interesting information for me to have because I also (laughs) enjoyed doing it huh. Well, huh. yeah. <laughs> well, probably nothing important there. All right. We, so <laughs> <not>. <laughs> um, and then I graduated college and immediately after college, I was working abroad at a theater festival. And then I like went and worked on like a goat farm. It was just like I was just like doing the whole like post-college feel. Yourself you thing. really um, casually dropped worked at a goat farm in this working conversation. Working on a goat farm needs at least more than a lead berry in the middle of a list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I worked on a goat farm in France for a while. It was through Wolf. In France? Yeah. I mean, environmental studies major and all this stuff. I was really into doing the kind of like woof thing, which if you're wanting to travel at a later date and want to do it in a way that's really cost effective, working on farms and work exchanges are great ways to do it and stuff that I did in college as well. But yeah, this one happened to be a goat farm in the Normandy region of France that I worked on for a month with this French family. Yeah, I don't know. It was so it was so freaking great. And it ended up actually like highly impacting my life. This is all like it like if Tony Stark's suit came together like unbelievably slowly over the course of (laughs) two years. (laughs) and created an artist, that would be what I'm describing. Um, So I was like, okay, cheese, food, interesting. Food, culture, storytelling, environmental studies, interesting. Packing it all away. And then after working on this farm for a while, my sister and I, like on the way back from France, instead of going straight to LA, I stopped in New York for like a week because my sister wanted to visit New York. Spent that week in New York where I hung out with one of my friends from college and he had an open apartment and it was just like, okay, I could just move to New York. I obviously have no plans. And then uh, I moved to New York two weeks later. And then I was sitting in his apartment on an air mattress, uh, you know, like three weeks after having been on a goat farm in France. Yeah, mm-hmm. tale sure. as old as time. Yeah, classy, <laughs> sort of the situation every young woman finds herself in. Mm-hmm. And that's why I arrived at the musical theater writing program, because I was... So like, what the fuck did I just do Uh, that I then started Googling 
writing programs and graduate programs and various kinds of things that I thought could be like the thing in New York for me. And so, yeah. Why musicals? I just really love musical theater. I have a background in music. I was like playing cello and upright bass all through high school and euphonium in high school as well. Just like I was always in every like band or orchestra or jazz band that I could be. I'm just writing down things that Claire says casually that are cooler than everyone I know. And euphonium? Right right under goat farm is euphonium. (laughs) Uh, So you have a background in all of the typical instruments. Yes, go on. Yeah, so I I have a background in music and continued to play in like marching bands like after college. So in discussing your Iron Man suit of interest and mission, is all of the food culture and food heritage and the environmental science, is that kind of a focus of all of your work still or while you're in grad school and sort of uh, navigating through other themes? Essentially, are you activisming as you're writing? I'm definitely not like purposely trying to write about food or environmental stuff. But the thing is, I think it manifests in so many ways, even without me trying to, especially I think like food and culture is one major way that it does that. And then also like from environmental studies, I think like concepts of space and place and like artistically, where do you see and experience stuff and like the physical space? I think that is also manifests itself in my work a lot, but um, definitely not intentionally. I do say that immediately my after having written the show I just finished, the 20 minute show is actually about making cheese in France. <laughs> but that one is because my first and only job in New York was being a cheesemonger, which I did up until I started grad school, which of course is directly related back to the goats, directly related back to the environmental studies, which directly brings me into this musical. Like everything, the world is so small and everything I've ever done impacts me a lot. Quick question. Cheesemonger, where? Were you rocking it at like Beecher's? Were you doing the like farmer's market thing? Bedford Cheese Shop. I love that cheese shop. I'm such a big fan of your work. You do great work. (laughs) Uh, For our listeners at home, uh, order from there. Their stuff is really good. Their selection is good. Their mongers are really top tier and good people. And their mongers are top tier is a sentence I can feel confident I was never going to hear out loud. Top tier mongers, really best in the game, basically. And actually, that's why we brought you here today. There were a few other playwrights that we liked, but where was their monger game, you know? Yeah, there's so much bad stuff to monger in the world. Fear, hate. Yeah, why not cheese? Yeah, maybe give cheese a chance. Sadly, backing away from your life story, which I would like a whole other podcast about because it's dope. Where did this play come out of? When did you write it? Why? How'd you like it? Yeah, I wrote it really recently for a playwriting class for school. I find playwriting very hard and scary and often have no idea if I've done a good job or not. You did a good job. You have, yeah. Oh my god, I was not fishing, but thank you. <laughs> I wrote this in a monologue form. It was, an, it was a monologue of Isidore's. The assignment for playwriting was like about studying theatrical conventions. And so I chose the Yiddish theater. And also my dad was Jewish and the styles of Yiddish and Jewish comedy, I think are really pervasive in my life. And I think even more so than like theatrical reasoning, they hold a lot of emotional weight. It was just like, kind of like letting myself go into that, the place of like kind of exploring, I think like what a version of my dad could do, things that he could say, I don't know. Yeah. I also think there's an interesting overlap there because Yiddish theater or speech patterns in the style of Yiddish theater, there's a shorthand, but there's also, I think it is a, it is a dialect, right? Like there is a specific dialect to this. There's such a, I mean, there's an enormous history of Yiddish theater and to boil it down into one moment in time or aesthetic is like 
not possible, but also... Right, of course. I think this one was coming so much from, like, the place of, like, modern-day New York Jews, my dad. And one important thing about this is, like, my dad passed away when I was in high school. And I think, and this was, oh my god, my life story is so interesting and long. You're hearing so much about it. Um, I'm loving, I'm loving this. I don't like that last bit. But um, that last part's well, not great. Well, this is actually, I think it's a big part of the rest of the life story is like my mom passed away when I was in 10th grade, when I was 15. And then my dad, when I was a senior in high school, when I was 17. And then my sister and her husband, who then was like my 26 year old sister and her like 24 year old boyfriend or something moved into my childhood home with me and like got me through my senior year of high school, essentially. Whew. And I think for all of us, because they're both theater they're creators and writers and director like divisors as well. I think there was a real push early on to be like, this story's so good. It's like, oh, the dead parents and the, oh my God. And it's so, we're so likable. And like, how do we write this? It's, it's a sitcom waiting to happen. It's tragic. It's funny. It's, and uh, nothing ever came of that clearly. But uh, I think a lot of my work in particular is wanting to write about that space and those feelings about like, uh, you know, how do I, I want to honor my parents through writing. I want to like preserve things. I want to write joyously uh, about my culture and my heritage and these experiences, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's difficult to do without, because like my aesthetic is not like sad, like just, it just feels kind of gratuitous or, and also it being like so close to home and like, how do you write about these things that are like so personal to you. We don't have to include this because this gets to be about you, but Ned and I are nodding so much because we've both also lost parents. He's lost both of his parents. Like we totally get- Both of my get, parents it's passed such away an impo- in a 16 month period. It's such a fucking impossible thing to try to address with your creative yeah. work because you're like, I don't know. I don't know any, I have no perspective and I have no capacity. Like I don't yes. know. You and know. The, crazy, and the crazy thing to speak to what you just said is like the crazy thing about it is for me was like not only feeling- like incapable of writing well about it because like I would put something on paper and be like this is embarrassing this sucks this is yeah. this is this, <laughs> yeah. the, my my family should disown me I have brought dishonor to them <laughs> there's a dishonor element you put it down and you're like I'm defiling the memory yeah. of this parent <laughs> by how crappy this attempt to yeah you're like I there's something very Greek about yes. failing at doing this and then the and the double like shame of that was like in the media of the world everybody has dead parents like in the like everybody's writing dead parents all these fucking dumbasses with living parents <laughs> living grandparents even um yeah are, those are writing their their magnum opus about a sad kid who has dead parents and you're like shut up man that's not what it's like you're a dick (laughs) for me like i used writing as a way of dealing with the fact that my parents were dying and so nothing i ever really produced like we launched this podcast right after my dad passed and then my mom didn't listen to podcasts and she passed away shortly thereafter and so like i constantly run into the the same exact problem from the reverse is like i can't write anything now my parents never knew me as a writer what if it sucks then they wouldn't you know what i mean like i keep having the reverse flip because you're right like there's a whole thing where you start to analyze against like their expectations when their expectations were like oh be nice people (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. like i know i was 15 they wanted me to like be not on too many drugs right yeah yeah sure and i failed that so like here we are (laughs) oh god yeah i 
even feel a little child guilt saying this, but like it is a burden for me. Uh, I'm drawing a line around what I feel capable of or okay with writing and creating because I'm like, well, there's this whole area I really can't write about because I, when I do, I'm bad. Yeah, yeah. nothing. Yeah. nothing's more sobering than re- I really did this at the beginning of this year in um, a, an assignment where I like was working. I I got drunk was talking to the composer that I was writing with was just like in like pure idea generation stage and we had to like adapt this short story that was about a dead mother and I was like oh we fucking got it baby we're gonna we're gonna write the best (laughs) little scene into song you ever goddamn heard okay it's about a dead mom uh yeah no problem I got that uh and then it sucked it was garbagey it was not good and I did not do a good job writing it at all no no through no fault of the composer certainly he's an incredible composer and I wrote him bad bad things and uh and then I was like, oh, no, to, and then it's just like oh my god this is so much more embarrassing than writing a bad scene writing the bad scene that I am like guilt-ridden about and then also like have this slight superiority complex to other people who like write about dead parents who don't have dead parents I'm like listen you don't get it at all mm-hmm. and then I had to reckon like you know what a better writer with living parents might be able to do this better than me. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like this phenomenon. And there should be another podcast where we just explore why that's true and how to get around it. But I think you're right. I like so listeners, welcome to our new podcast. <laughs> so your parents are dead and you're a writer. That's the name of the that's the name of the podcast. Dot dot. Name of the pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey listeners, first off, sorry about it. Sorry about it. Yeah, first off. Welcome listeners. <laughs> we, sorry. we start every show by saying, oh, Sorry. Your writing's about to get really good. And everyone's about to be jealous of you and how tortured your writing is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, silver linings. We're all about optimism here at this podcast. And so you wrote this one for a class. Do you have your dad's voice in mind when you're writing Isidore Lines? Exactly, yes. And um, when it was in the original monologue form, that was just like, it was less than a page and it was just a monologue of Isidore. And it was the start of like a little brain seed idea, no one steal it, but of like a monologue cycle, like vagina monologue style, but but for men, because isn't it time? It's, yeah, it's just isn't time. It time. That we had our own work. <laughs> but basically a monologue cycle, or I guess I was thinking of it as like a song cycle, but of monologues that was like monologues for my dad to deliver essentially for my dead dad to deliver would be the kind of edgier title and my dad was not an actor at all but very much a performer and a storyteller I think in the way that Isadora is he used to walk me to school and would when I was in elementary school we would like essentially pick up kids along the way they would be chanting like story 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 we'd get to school and we'd be at the schoolyard and he would tell all the kids a story that he made up oh my god that's wonderful a highly performative person and i think in a similar way to to isadora's performance yeah wow that's lovely i love that so much i almost want to move on to this next question because that is like such a beautiful way to like finish discussion of the show itself you gave us a button god you're a writer <laughs> Moving on to, I would say, the like cornerstone of our podcast historically. Yes. The question pre-COVID was, what is your favorite snack? 
very straightforward, very simple, led to a lot of heated arguments. We can talk about that. We have modified the question in the end times to be about what is the snack or food, because it can be full meals if you want, getting you through quarantine or the one you're fantasizing about that you can't have. What is, what's pulling you through here? My first instinct is to say instant ramen, like like the ramen mm. blocks, not, not cup of noodles, but like block ramen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love those a lot and they have been bringing me an enormous amount of comfort. Yeah. I've gotten extremely good at poaching an egg in one. I'm sorry, that sounds great. It's really good. You basically, here's the recipe. Tell us. Get your water to a rolling boil, throw in your ramen at a strong rolling boil for one minute, mm -hmm. turn off the water, crack your egg into it, cover it, leave it for like, I don't know, like three minutes. I don't know. That's where the recipe gets shaky. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, undercook your ramen so that when it's sitting in the hot water, the ramen like doesn't overcook. And also the ramen noodles hold the egg in shape really nicely. So actually you have like a really nicely formed poached egg without having to like whirlpool it or whatever. Wow. I'm a chef. I think you're a trendsetter. Are there spices? Are there sauces? Are you throwing anything in after I the do. egg? I do. I'm a big proponent of the flavor packet of MSG. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then also we have this thing called chili crisp in my house, which basically is like black vinegar, chili oil, crunchy fried chili things. You can make it. It's hard to make. And we have a friend who brought some homemade by I would recommend getting in there some chili oil and vinegar if you have like a rice vinegar or something. I'm starving. This sounds so I'm so, so good. hungry and you have just changed. <laughs> Are you a dessert person at all? Do you ever finish off with a sweet? Big sweet tooth person. I love desserts. I love cake. Oh yeah. And also just like candy. This is dumb and makes me sound like a child, but I'm like, I love, I love gummy candy. I love Sour Patch Kids. I love Swedish Fish. I love Mike and Ike's and Good and Plenty's. I love a Mike and Ike. Controversially. Is that controversial? Good and Plenty's? Yeah, no one likes Good and Plenty's. I don't love Good and Plenty's. I can say it. I can represent the majority on I this conversation. I can live on the Good and Plenty's. Guess I won't see you around the Licorice Lovers Convention 2021. <laughs> no, but you might see me at Bedford Cheese Shop, so maybe it'll work out. <laughs> Bedford Cheese Shop, sponsor of the pod. Sponsor of the podcast, Bedford Cheese Shop. This has been a damn delay. I can't thank you enough. Holy hell. Thanks for having me. And thanks for recording this freaking piece. I'll, I will try not to weep upon listening to it later. I am <laughs> so excited for you to hear it. Me too. It's wonderful. And for our listeners, Claire, where can people find you if you want to be found? You can, you can follow me on Instagram at Claire Bearman. It's like C-L-A-R-E. B-E-A-R-M-A-N, if you were so inspired, or Beerman, which is my actual last name, Beerman Claire on Twitter, B-I-E-R-M-A-N, and then C-L-A-R-E. Thank God. In the 20 minutes I've been talking to you, I've never met someone I want to follow their Twitter feed more than, than <laughs> you. Your tweets must spring forth from your brain and appear on your laptop like, a, like some sort of intuitive technology. At the table of play reading series, just followed you on Twitter. So, you know. Oh, hell yeah. We will have links to Claire's Insta and Twitter accounts up on our website. www.chargingmoosemedia.com slash at the table podcast. You can also find us online anywhere you do the online thing at at the table plays. On Instagram, you can find us through the Charging Moose Media Instagram account, Charging Moose NY. Claire, thank you so much for being here with us today. You are brilliant. If you want to hear 
any more about Claire, about goat farms or euphoniums, please visit our website, www.chargingmoosemedia.com slash at the table podcast. Until next time, be well, stay safe, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye gang. Bye. You've been listening to At The Table, a play reading series produced by Charging Moose Media. For more information on our playwright, Claire Bierman, visit our website at chargingmoosemedia.com slash podcast. Link also in the show notes. We are hosted by Rachel Flynn and Ned Donovan. Our artistic director and senior producer is Rachel Flynn. Editor is Ned Donovan. Associate producer is Megan Bagala. Music by Marcus Thorne Bagala. Special thanks to our playwright, Claire Bierman. You can find us on social media at At The Table Plays. Please connect with us. See you next time.